What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Dr. Jennifer Etnier joins us to talk about burnout in athletics. Dr. Etnier is at U- is a professor at UNC Greenboro, and she's written some books about burnout in athletics. And we're going to kind of tra- you know see what is causing them as athletes to burn out, or especially in, in youth sports, but then kind of translate that to athletic training and see how we can help prevent them from burning out and then also how we can take care of ourselves and prevent that as well. I'm joined by Ray Olivo. He's at the village school and he's going to be just joining me on the interview, helping uh, just get that great information from Dr. Etnier. So Dr. Etnier has written multiple articles. Um, she's a fellow of uh, the American College of Sports Medicine and the National Academy of Kinesiology, formerly the president president of the North American Society for Psychology of Sport and Physical Activity, and editor of the Journal of Aging and Physical Activity, as well as a principal investigator of the Physical Activity and Alzheimer's Disease to study at UNCG. And I've got a link to some of the articles and books and thing and videos that she's created. Um, they'll be in the show notes there. So this is sports medicinebroadcast.com slash Jennifer Etnier. So that's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-E-T-N-I-E-R. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jennifer Etnier. And if you Google uh, Jennifer Etnier, UNCG, you'll probably be able to find it in case you forget how to spell her name. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jennifer Etnier. Dr. Etnier, you have written books and things like that about uh, in books and articles about burnout in sports. So in one of them, you talk about you are were, you're a lifelong athlete. You've coached your kids. You've watched them be coached. So which sport is your favorite to participate in currently? Uh, I'm all about soccer. soccer. Love to play it, watch it, coach it, anything soccer. That's me. All right. So other than soccer, what sports have you participated in and what sports have you coached? Yeah, I played um, fast pitch softball in high school and also played basketball, although not very well in high school. Um, and then I love all physical activities. So um, I was water skiing last week. I like to windsurf, sail, downhill ski, play tennis, golf, pretty much anything you can think of. You said you've also coached and watched your kids. So we already know, you know, soccer is number one, but... Um, where did a lot of this come from? Was it watching your kids play baseball, play soccer, or just a collaboration of all of them? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the work that I've done relative to youth sport has just come from anecdotal, observational types of, of evidence. And so, um, yeah, I've been out in the youth sport world as a participant a long time ago, um, but then, of course, I've been engaged as a coach and as a parent um, now as my children are coming through the youth sport system. Um, and then also, I'm also at the fields and talking to athletes in my role as a sports psychologist. So, Dr. Etner, you've written books uh, and, and many articles on the subject of, of athlete burnout. Um, what is your personal experience with that? You know, fortunately for me, I never burned out. But it's my guess is that it's largely because of what I was just describing, which was a broad interest in a variety of different sports. So when I was growing up, um, soccer was not year-round soccer. Basketball was not year-round. And, you know, that's changed dramatically in recent years so that our youth athletes are specializing earlier and they're, um, you know, narrowing it down to one or two sports earlier and then they're playing those sports for much, much longer. So we, we, we know the role that, uh, you know, Jeremy and I were as athletic trainers, um, you know, we, we see this 
you're you're in and you're out. Um, what do you think, as an athletic trainer, how how can our role, um, you know, affect, uh, you know, decreasing the amount of burnout that we have in youth athletes and and uh, mentoring coaches? Um, what are your um, uh, your inclinations on that? Yeah, I really like that question because um, I do think sometimes we overlook the role of the athletic trainers and the potential role that they could have in really helping to minimize the likelihood of burnout in youth athletes. Um, but it's on it's on a lot of fronts, right? So I don't want to answer this question forever. So let me just give a few ideas. And then if you want to pursue it more, we certainly can. Um, but I think part of it is helping the athletes themselves to be in tune to their own bodies and their own psyche. Um, as athletic trainers, you all are, are always looking, I'm sure, for evidence of overtraining, um, you're seeing chronic nagging injuries, right, that might keep an athlete sort of not at their peak for a period of time. And those injuries, as you probably well know, could be indicative of them being in an overtraining phase where their levels of cortisol are higher and their body is just not reacting well to the training load. So I think as athletic trainers, you know, being, being aware of those, um, how those nagging injuries can be indicative of overtraining, being aware of how... Um, the inability to surpass a, a training or performance plateau might be indicative of overtraining. And then having conversations with the athlete to help them be in tune with their bodies and think about what they're experiencing. And the last thing I'll say is that I do know how critically important the role of athletic trainers can be as a, um, maybe as a confidant, as a, as a friend sometimes, as a peer, if we're talking about college athletics. Um, athletic trainers are sometimes privy to more of what's going on with the athlete than the coaches. And so I think athlete, athletic trainers could really play a role in helping athletes, again, to, to think about what's going on in their life more than just in sport. So yeah, the training load feels a lot and I'm kind of struggling with this chronic injury that I've had. Um, but you know, also I'm really stressed out because we've got exams coming up next week. Or also I'm really stressed out because I'm breaking up with my girlfriend or boyfriend. So some of that knowledge, I think, can really, really help you to have conversations with the athletes to get them to be really aware of where they are right now and to think about coping strategies that might help them to get through that period of time. All right. So as a sports psychologist, let's visit that just a little bit more, um, because if that's one of the things where we can really help prevent burnout, obviously, if we're doing our job, we are looking for injury prevention. We talked before about the using the perceived or the relative uh, exertion measure, measure or something like that. I can't remember what the term is, but I've talked about it before on the podcast. Um, and so that's where the kids basically are just rating how they feel today, their readiness to, to exercise. Um, but then being that, that confidant, that friend, um, and again, obviously we are not, for the most part, athletic trainers, sports psychologists. So just visit that a little bit more with us and how that specifically pertains to athlete burnout and athletic trainer burnout. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I mean, and, and you know, some places people are lucky enough to have a sports psychologist on staff or available in a consulting role. And I do think that person should obviously be the go-to person, um, especially if we're starting to deal about athletes who are having struggles that are clearly more psychological than they are physical, right? So then, then a sports psychologist or any other sort of counselor might be a better resource. But, but that is where you can also play a role, right? So as the athletic trainer, you can help to normalize sport, you know, the, the seeking of assistance from counselors and sports psychologists. Um, you can help the athlete to think, wow, I really, I really am reporting um, you know, a higher perceived exertion this week than I have been in previous weeks, and I know I'm dealing with a lot. Maybe this is the time to seek out additional guidance. And if you're talking about youth athletes, that may mean that they need to go to their parents 
and talk to their parents about seeking some professional assistance. Um, if you're at a high school, maybe you're lucky enough to have a sports psychologist who's affiliated with the school. If you're at a university, um, a lot of times universities have full-time sports psychologists or at least have consultants that they can, you know, that they can um, refer the athletes to. Um, but let me get back to your, your real question, Jeremy, which I think is, so what can you guys do? Um, I think that as educated adults who are in the healthcare system, in the sports medicine world, um, I think you all are incredibly savvy about appropriate coping mechanisms that don't cross the line into counseling, but that help an athlete just to find a better balance in their lives, for instance. So um, when athletes are burning out, a lot of times it's because of the physical overtraining load, but a close tie-in with that is the stress that they're experiencing either in sport or outside of sport or in academics or a combination of, of all of those things. And so I think if you can, again, just help them gain some awareness of sort of what they're experiencing, help normalize it so they know they're not the only one who's gone through this, um, and help them to think about, you know, well, what does make you happy, right? So if, if right now um, whatever sport you're in is like making you crazy or you're not really having joy in that sport anymore, let's talk about what else makes you happy. Do you like to play a musical instrument? Um, do you like socializing with your friends? Do you like to be outdoors in nature? Can you figure out a way to get those things back into your life so that you uh, sort of regain the healthy balance that will allow you to cope well with whatever is going on in your sport or in the stressful aspects of your life right now? Yeah, I, I love that answer, Dr. Adnir. So I, I, can, I can say, um, and I, I know Jeremy and I have had plenty of conversations on um, past podcasts with um, you know, other colleagues of, our, of ours about um, you know, mental health and, and its, its relation to our physical health and well-being. Um, the one thing I like about being an athletic trainer really and truly is that, you know, as a clinician, as a healthcare clinician, we evaluate the, the total person on a daily basis. So, again, not, the, not just their physical capabilities, you know, not how far you can jump, how fast you can run. Um, but like you said, Dr. Atnier, it's just, you know, how, how are things going at home? You know, hey, man, like, you know, I, I noticed you've been looking a little bit depressed today. You know, what's, what's going on? Um, and the fortunate thing for us and, and, you know, in my experience, and I know Jeremy shares the same sentiment, is that, you know, these kids look up to us for some guidance um, as athletic trainers. So um, we're fortunate to be in that position. So um, I actually wanted to expand on your, your answer, Dr. Atnir. Um, so kind of switching over, switching gears over to, to mental health. Um, you know, COVID-19 has done uh, quite a bit of uh, damage on, you know, not only our mental health as clinicians and healthcare providers, um, but on our athletes as well. So as we transition, uh, I know here in, in Texas, um, you know, we have kids coming on campus next week to begin strength and conditioning before we start getting into actual practice. Um, how, as a healthcare clinician um, or an athletic trainer, um, do you think we should deal? You know, what are some tools that we, we should utilize um, in terms of dealing with our athletes' mental health? I mean, I think that's a great question. And again, I, I know you guys also want to be careful that we don't cross the line into, into trying to be mental health um, professionals, right? But I, I totally get what you're saying. And so, I, you know, I, I probably, I'm going to say this more than once today, I'm sure. But one of the things that I just think is so important is that we all have to find joy and fun in our lives. I, I realized this for myself back in about April, early May, when I just, I was getting down. Um, I, I was I, I've never dealt with depression, and I clearly was dealing with something at that point in time. And what I realized was the importance of remembering what makes me happy, remembering ways that I could find joy, and figuring out a way to get those back into my life, even with the precautions that we have to take with COVID. 
So one of the easy things I started doing, I started calling more of my friends on the phone. We all have more time on our hands, or at least we did. Things are picking up again now. But, um, you know, just having that, that interaction, even though it wasn't face-to-face and I couldn't give them a hug like I wanted to, I could still have a very personal and meaningful conversation that brought me joy because of that social interaction and was different than the insular nature of, you know, the small group of people that I was interacting with face-to-face. But I, I think that's part of it. I, I imagine <laughs> the joy your athletes are going to experience when they come back to start strength and conditioning is going to change the world for all of them and for you guys. I mean, we, my boys had their first soccer practice yesterday. It, it's, it's life-altering. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me to sort of be reminded of how much joy we get from sport participation, as I know you guys know. But so I'm hoping that as they come in the door, you know, again, maybe it's just sort of reinforcing that so that people um, get the full benefit of the joy that they're undoubtedly feeling from being there, right? So maybe it's saying, and I do this all the time, isn't it the greatest thing ever that we're back together? Isn't it the greatest thing ever that we're getting to train for our sport again? Because if there is somebody in there who's still depressed and down, just being there might not be quite enough. But if you can sort of amplify for that for them, then it might help them sort of feel that cloud lift and go, you know what? You're right. It is the greatest thing ever. And we've made it through, hopefully, I hope, the worst part of COVID when we were trying to figure out how to, how to keep people safe. If we can come together and be safe now, then we can start to get back some of the activities that bring us happiness. So yeah. going, going back just a little bit to, I'm sorry, Ray, were you, were you going to follow this same thread? No, no go ahead, Jeremy. I can, I can add on later. <laughs> okay. Um, Earlier, you mentioned youth sports and, you know, it's, it's going to be so like the 10, 12 year old soccer player, they're used to playing, you know, five nights a week and then a whole tournament on the weekend. And so now they're not playing, but we're talking about the, the burnout. So how, how would you address that with a youth sports parent? Because I get the high school is a little bit different. The kids have a little bit more say, but as a 10 year old, you're not going to say, well, you need to tell your parents, you need to take time off. But then we always see those Twitter videos or whatever, those parents fighting at a freaking Little League baseball game because their kid got struck out or whatever. You know, it's just ridiculous. So what are we gonna, how are we going to handle that 10-year-old where we're normally used to dealing with high school, college athletes? Yeah, I mean, I, that, that, that's too big a question for me to have an answer that's going to solve the problem, I think, Jeremy. But I, I think it is critical, like the work that you guys are doing by sharing education with your athletic training colleagues, um, but also with the broader sports medicine community, I think is just critical. I think we have to use every tool we have in terms of coach education and um, educational avenues, parent education, to help, really, you're right, the parents understand sort of the potential negative impact that a singular focus on sport can have on their child. And it's not, you know, it's not just, um, you know, whatever sport you want to pick. It's not just that my child might burn out from that sport. But if I push too hard, my child might burn out from all physical activity, right? So then the long-term health implications become just so, so important to consider. Um, I think it's really important that, that people who are professionals working in the area of sport spread the word as loud and as far as they can that specialization is not the right option for most kids, all right, I'll always say for most kids, because there are some kids that all they want to do is soccer. All they want to do is tennis. Um, but for most kids, we know from evidence that it is much, much better for them to be um, not to specialize, 
until they're into their older um, adolescent years. And, and then only if they really truly want to specialize, right? So it shouldn't be driven by the parents. It should be coming from the kids. And early specialization, um, the evidence shows that that has no impact on their likelihood of being successful, even at the elite level in a given sport, right? So we know that even elite athletes, most elite athletes have not specialized until they're into their high school years. So 10 and 11 year olds for sure should not be specializing. And for all kinds of reasons, because specializing contributes to burnout, because specializing contributes to overtraining injuries, because specializing actually probably limits their likelihood of success in sport, because you guys know from watching all different sports, so many sports are the same, you know, learning how to create space and distance in the sport of basketball is similar as what you do in soccer and field hockey and ice hockey and, and, and all of those team sports that are, that are, that are like that conceptually. So, um, yeah, Jeremy, I feel like sometimes I get off on this tangent. I'm sorry. I'm not sure if I answered your exact question, but I think, I think it's about education. I think it's about educating the professionals who are in sport, but it's also about educating the parent coach volunteers and the parents themselves. And the more consistent we are in our messaging, I think the stronger that, that voice will be. And so Ray, you got the next question, but, um, Erica Thornton was, is watching live on Facebook and said, Hey Jenny. So she just want to say thanks for sharing your knowledge. <laughs> That's so. cool. Hey Erica. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, Ray. Yeah, so uh, kind of going off that, uh, Dr. Etner, um, you know, you, you wrote a New York Times uh, uh, article about um, quality of coaches that we have in youth organizations. So I kind of want to speak a little bit to that. So in, in regards to burnout uh, and whatnot, um, how do you see, and I know there's organizations that are kind to kind of kind of putting together resources right now to allow for better education for coaches, to allow for mentoring, et cetera. What do you think personally that are uh, the principles that, our coaches should be governed by, um, especially when they're dealing with kids who are, you know, special, special, specializing in a, you know, sport such as soccer or basketball. What are the principles that you think a coach should, again, be governed by in order to prevent this from happening? Yeah, I mean, I think, okay, so number one, I have to say fun again, right? I told you I'd do that. I, I'm doing it, okay? People play sports because it's fun. And when children stop having fun in a sport, that's not the fault of the sport. That's the fault of probably some adults who are in that setting or some peers who are in that setting and are taking the fun out of the game, right? So a coach's primary focus has to be that the practice and the games and the competitions and their interactions with those kids promote a sense of enjoyment in that sport. Now, part of how you do that, so here's a principle, which I like the way you worded that, Ray. Part of how you would do that is to make sure that you're focusing on process, not outcome. As soon as you start focusing on outcome, Kids are smart. I don't care what age they are. They're going to figure out, oh, my coach only cares about winning. Oh, we're not winning. Okay, if we're not winning and the only thing that matters is winning, then clearly there's no reason to stay involved in this activity, right? So the focus on process, I just think, is one of the, the most important keys. And what's really important for coaches at all ages to know is that that is true at all levels of play. If you're on an elite NBA team, if you're a professional tennis player or golfer, if you focus only on winning, you are not going to be successful. I can guarantee it because you can't win every single competition. And if the only thing you care about is winning, then when you lose, that has a terrible impact on your self-esteem and your ability to keep working so hard to reach those goals. So at all levels, all athletes who are successful for a length of time, they care about winning. Don't get me wrong, okay? So I, I need to make sure I say that. I'm not saying that winning doesn't matter, but
But what I'm saying is that the way that you give yourself an opportunity to win is by focusing on process and the things that will help you to then be successful and put yourself in a position to have the outcome that you would like to have. So I, I mean, I, I really passionately believe that if coaches and parents and kids would stop fo- focusing on winning and would really get their focus on process, that it would change the experience of youth sport. Because what we want to happen as a youth sport coach is we want those kids to develop. We want them to get as good as they can be in that sport. And I don't, you know, when I'm coaching, I don't care if as good as you can be means you don't even make the middle school team. But when you're with me, you're going to get better because I want you to improve and have that sense of accomplishment. And that sense of accomplishment is going to bring you joy. And that feeling of joy is going to keep you engaged in sport. And even if it's not soccer or whatever I'm coaching, it might make you think, wow, I like that sense of accomplishment. I'm going to switch and maybe I'm going to do you know, something that's not as, as physically active. Maybe I'm going to switch and do baseball because I'm still only nine or 10. Maybe I'm going to switch and do golf or tennis. Maybe I'm going to switch to sports that I can maintain into adulthood, like mountain biking or cycling or jogging or hiking or, you know, things like that. So I guess that's it. I think I have a short list, Ray. It's like got two things on it. Make sure that the kids are having a good time. Make sure you're focused on process so that all the kids have a sense of accomplishment and everybody develops when they're working with you. Yeah, I, I love that. So um, at being a Pennsylvania guy and uh, being from uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, just north of Philadelphia, and I always talk about trusting the process here with our student athletes. So uh, yeah. a little, uh, uh, you know, um, not, not to the 76ers here, but um, so in regards to that, you know, when you're, when you're talking to your kids about, you know, trusting the process and having, um, you know, sm- worrying about small incremental goals and um, they lead to the bigger things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are, what are some things that as a, as a coaching, as a coach, um, you know, you could use again as, as, as tools, like whether you talk about like imagery or, um, you know, um, uh, goal setting, uh, what are some tools that you can use in the moment of, you know, actively preaching, t- trusting the process? Yeah, I mean, those are both fine tools, Ray. So I I think that's great. You know, if you have time to work with your athletes on the use of mental imagery and mental practice, that's a wonderful skill that they can then take advantage of at all different times during the day, right? So it can have great payoff because you might not have time to devote 20 minutes a day to mental practice in your practice. But if you teach the athletes how to use mental practice, they can do it on their own. They can do it, you know, for 10 or 20 minutes at night before they go to bed. They can do it while they're riding on the bus to school. Um, you know, they can find lots of times in the day to take advantage of mental practice. Goal setting is really important, you know, and actually, Ray, the two that you've brought up here are the two um, sports psych skills that we have the most um, empirical scientific evidence about. We know that imagery and we know that goal setting are effective. So, um, yeah, goal setting, if a coach, again, if the coach has the skills and can incorporate goal setting into what they're doing with their athletes, that is a great technique to use to help athletes create goals that are not outcome-oriented, that are process-oriented, to help them identify, like you said, Ray, sort of the small stepping stones that will help them reach those long-term goals. And by doing that, what you do is you set up a, a, a you know, to sort of tie it back into burnout, which is our topic we're thinking about, by setting up short-term goals that move you towards a long-term goal, you help to alleviate burnout because you can recognize success to short-term goals. Instead of everything being so far away, you can say, you know, one of my goals was um, this week to, ma- to make sure that I practice 10 minutes a day 
with some, you know, shots from around all different points of the basket. And I did that. You know, I practiced at home on my, my basketball goal on my garage, right? So I practiced for, for 10 minutes today. I squeezed it in between my normal basketball practice and my schoolwork and my family life. I squeezed in 10 minutes a day for a week, right? And so I have that sense of accomplishment. And the reason I did that is because it positions me then or contributes to my ability to be successful in, for this example, the sport of basketball. And so then maybe next week I expand that goal, or maybe that next week I'm working on dribbling to the right, dribbling to the left to do you know, a, a particular basketball move and, and to shoot. And so I, I, I set my short-term goals that are in my control that I can accomplish and I can have a sense of, of um, success. And the, the, thing, the one thing that I really want to add to those two, um, Ray, is just having coaches provide positive feedback um, not not always negative and critical feedback. So as a, as a teacher, I get it's hard when I read a paper. I find myself, you know, you hear it like bleeding red ink. I've got red ink all over the paper, and when I look at that paper, I think, what in the world are you doing? It, it, it shouldn't all be critical. It can't all be critical. So I make sure that I'm conscientious about noticing the places where this is really good, right? So. Here are the places I'm giving you some feedback, but let me make sure that I sandwich that between telling you, this is a really great first draft. Here are the things you've done really well. Here are the places we need to improve. Now, use these tools I've given you, and let's go make a better second draft, right? So I've, I've used an academic analogy, obviously, but I think for coaches, it, it should be the same. So team, this is what you're doing great, right? These are the things I really like. Let's keep doing those things. Here are the places where I'd like to see some improvement. And so this is how I'd like to see you make that happen. Let's go out there and try that again, right? And so we, we make sure that we're, we're, we're not only critical, we're sandwiching our criticisms between positives and another positive or between positives and like a solution. Let's try it again and do it this way. And so I think if you take that approach and you're working on process, the overall um, climate of the practice will have a positive feel because the athletes know you're invested in them, you care about them, you're trying to help them get better, and you're doing it in a way that doesn't denigrate them or discourage them. You're doing it in a way that stays positive. So about the mental imagery and then the current situation where everybody is on their phones, so I want to talk about that in just a second. But as we're going through this and we're talking coaches, we say, keep, you know, coaches and the way their negative impact on kids or positive impact, we as athletic trainers, because that's the primary audience here, need to, need to basically sub out coaches for athletic trainers. Because mm -hmm. if I had that kid in the athletic training room and I say, well, we're going to get you back to uh, sports in nine months from your ACL. Well, today we're going to work on getting 10 quality uh, TKEs. And then tomorrow we're going to work on getting off those or next week we're going to work on those crutches getting off those crutches then it's the same thing as is giving those small short-term goals or giving that positive feedback hey man i'm you've been here every day right we we really got to work on that flexibility or we really got to work on that focus while you're here but you've been you've been doing really good and at least being here and you know that's that's a great step in the right direction and that's so, that's great jeremy you're making that transition to your content that you know so well so i really appreciate that and what i love about what you just said is Everything you just said is process-oriented. Everything you just said were the small steps that are going to help that athlete get back on the playing field. Rather than focusing just on that long-term goal, which could be weeks or months away, you're talking about the small steps that are within their control 
that they can do to put themselves in a position to start recovering from their from their injury. So it's something that I learned several years ago from because of the podcast was that um, you want to set the set the goals and then make sure that the athlete can tell you what that goal is. Okay, so at the end of the week, what do you expect? Where do you expect to be? All right, cool. So we're on the same page. And so you communicate that. They understand it. And it's not just my goal. It's what, what is your goal? So right, as we as you talked about mental imagery and now everybody's on their phone, it's always Netflix or YouTube or something like that. You said 10 minutes while they're on the bus. Um, has, has that art of mental imagery basically just disappeared because everybody is, they're no longer in their head, they're on their device? You know, that's a great question, Jeremy. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, that would be an interesting, um, if anybody listening needs to do a master's thesis, that'd be, that'd be an interesting topic to find out if the amount of imagery that athletes are using on their own, right, self, self-selected um, has changed. If it has, that will be to the detriment of their performance, right? Um, as we get sucked into our phones and into social media, I think there are a lot of things that are, that are losing out because there's only so much time in a day. So, um, you know, as, as athletic trainers, I think it makes sense for you to encourage the athletes to make sure that they're reserving some time for mental practice. Um, mental practice can help them in so many ways in terms of sort of setting the appropriate, um, you know, being relaxed and imaging um, skills that you might perform in a sporting event and then bringing in sort of imagining, okay, let's imagine now that I'm doing it under pressure and I still feel relaxed and I'm still performing that skill. We know that that can help. I'm sure you guys probably incorporate mental imagery with recovery from injury. You can as, as you know, there's lots of evidence to show that for all sorts of illnesses, chronic illnesses like cancer, um, for physical illnesses, that people can use mental imagery in a way to sort of recruit the immune system to help them to heal quicker. And so I think, you know, I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. I think that it's probably a challenge and probably people are not using mental imagery as much as they might have decades ago. But I hope that the evidence that it's effective might help those athletes who are really committed to make sure that they're prioritizing that as something that they're spending some of their time doing during the day. Yeah, I, so I agree, Jeremy and Dr. Edner, that you know, mental imagery is a big part of our practice here at the Village School. Um, I can tell you uh, just last week we had uh, one of our young ladies who's uh, recovering from an ACL reconstruction. Um, we, uh, I, I did some deceleration drills with her yesterday or yesterday, last week, I apologize. And the, the thing I kept telling her was, you know, envision yourself on the basketball court. Um, and she actually, she tore her ACL, um, on a deceleration play. Uh, she was trying to cut and, and, and uh, get to a, um, an opposing player. So for me and, and, and seeing how, how well it's benefited her, it's been, it's benefited her in, in just her confidence, her confidence moving forward, to feel that she's going to be more functional moving forward. Um, and then once you, tra- once you transitions to, um, basketball activities, she's going to be again, more mentally prepared to, to, to deal with the physical stresses that she's going to endure. So I absolutely love that. Getting back to, um, uh, you know, more of a, the topic of burnout, Dr. Etner, um, do you, you know, I, I always talk with our, our athletes, um, and our coaches about buying in. So, you know, we talk about the process. So buying into the process, buying into the rehab process, not thinking about long-term goals, but our short-term goals. Do you feel like there's an, an affiliation between uh, a, an athlete not buying in and burnout? You know, it probably is an interesting question. I don't know that I know scientifically the answer. Thinking about the way that, that burnout often plays out, 
my guess is that the burnout happens first and then the, the lack of buyout follows. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The reason I'm thinking that is because um, burnout sort of sneaks up on you. You know, and so, I mean, maybe, maybe my, my guesstimate about that isn't right. Maybe, maybe a lack of buy-in, but then you're still going to practice and you're still getting overtrained and you're still, you know, not having the joy that you do. Maybe the, maybe the lack of buyout could contribute. I could see that. But my guess is that it becomes more accelerated on the back end where you start to now have these negative um, feelings, this, this depression that's surrounding your sport participation, this lack of a sense of accomplishment in sport because you're not reaching training goals and you're physically more tired. Um, and then when that starts to happen, I think it would accelerate sort of an athlete's um, resistance, if you will, to sort of what's happening in those training sessions. Because they're not getting the they're not getting the positive response from buying in, if that makes sense. So it, they may have been bought in, but now they're physically overtrained. They're dealing with stressors, whatever those might be. And so now, as that starts to impact them physically and mentally, it's going to be really hard for them to stay bought in. Does that make sense? Is that does that ring true to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think just as you alluded to, I think it can be you know this is kind of the chicken or the egg question, but. Uh, you know, one can come first and the other can come first at times. I think it's really specific on the individual, to be honest. I guess I guess what I think is if, if you don't buy in, then you're probably not working as hard in the practices and you probably wouldn't have the physical overtraining, right? So I think, I think the buy-in has to be there initially or you wouldn't ever get to that physical point where you're overtrained, if that makes sense. But it, but it could be, you know, not just chicken and egg, but sort of cyclical. The, the two are feeding off of each other. That's probably the best way to think of it. I would agree with that. Absolutely. All right. And so some of the things that I've um, either read from you or, or kind of done in the research coming up to this is talking about the most talented kid gets the most attention, right? And so that that athlete that is the star might get more rehab attention, right? So what are some of the things that we can do to help avoid that and, you know, ensure we as athletic trainers and then also our coaches that we are closely working with are trusting the process that they're making sure the kids have fun, but making sure that we don't focus on the, the one. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting question as well. I mean, I think, you know, if you sort of think about it as um, the phrase, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So the, 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 the top athlete on your team is the one that's going to get a lot of attention, you know, depending on what level we're talking about, either from parents or coaches or media or peers, whomever it might be. Um, but if we have three or four players on the team who aren't as strong or who haven't fully recovered from injury and so can't give 100%, our team is not going to be successful, right? Not at the level that we maybe aspire to. So I think, you know, just sort of reminding everybody that, um, you know, and, and maybe it's different. Let me, let me talk about team sport first, and then we can think together about individual sports. But, you know, when you're thinking about team sport, we all go together. You know, if I can bring the whole group up, then we are going to be more successful than if I bring two or three up and let the others stay where they are. They are. If everybody improves, my top athlete and my weakest athlete and everybody in the middle, if they all get better, then we as a team are going to have more success this year than we had last year. Right. So I think for the athletic trainers and the coaches, just sort of reminding ourselves constantly that 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 it is a team sport and every piece of the link matters for our success. 
Now, if you're thinking about individual sports, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that doesn't make sense. But if you've got a, a tennis team, say, where you've got different athletes coming into your, into your practice or into your clinic, that, then, I, then may, you know, maybe anyway you're thinking about them at an individual level. But my hope would be that, that the people, I'm sure as health professionals, I don't doubt that you guys recognize the, the value of helping each athlete to improve as much as they possibly can, whether we're talking about injury recovery or from the coach's role, talking about developing them as players. It's tricky to do when your time is limited. I get that, right? So I think it's, I think it's also important to think about equitable versus equal. If I'm an athletic trainer and I'm responsible for three athletes who have all come into the clinic at the same time, um, how do I make sure that I'm helping them in an equitable way? The time doesn't have to be equal, but it may turn out that I'm actually spending more time with the weakest athlete because in terms of progressing everybody on that day as much as I can with limited resources, that's just the way it sort of pans out. I've got to give more time to the, to the less strong performance-wise athlete well, I'm giving less time maybe to the better athlete, but I'm trying to bring them all up as much as I can, given the resources that I have on that day. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I like that equitable versus equal. It's, it's important to remember that, you know, as a parent, I have four kids and I've got to invest that time. So if one of them really likes to sit and play video games, then I may sit and play video games. If one of them really likes to go running, I'm not going to run for an hour with that <laughs> you know, right. five-year-old that he likes to run, but I may play video games for an hour with that 10-year-old that likes to play video games. So it's what's really important to them in you know, building that connection. So And pr- progressing each of them, right, in the best way you can with, with the resources that you have available. Yeah, I like that analogy because if people have kids, I think that's when you start to understand what equitable means quicker. Mm-hmm. My kids are all different and their needs are all different. And I can only spread myself. I spread myself the best way I can to make sure that all of them are progressing as much as they can. Ray, you got the next one? Yeah, I got one. Um, So from a, um, from a, from a compliance perspective, uh, Dr. Etnier. So if we have a, you know, student athletes that we're working on um, in our clinic uh, with a, with a particular rehab and um, you know, they're, they're, they're burned out. They're, they're tired of, um, you know, the, the stresses and rigors of basketball practice or soccer practice, as well as academics and everything they have going on in their social life. What are some useful tools for athletic trainers, um, again, to make sure that our, our athletes are compliant when they're with us in the, in the clinical setting? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's good to revisit their goals with them, to revisit sort of where you are in the season, if you will, to even talk about a plan for, okay, there's still a month left and you're experiencing burnout now. Let's, let's think about what this means. Um, depending on the situation, it may mean that the athlete needs to have a conversation with the coach um, to talk about sort of the experience that he or she is having and their perception of what they need to do to make sure they can stay as strong as they can for the team, for the coach, for the program through the end of the season. Um, it's tricky. It's, it's such a balance, right? I know you guys know this, but there's such a balance between sort of pushing yourself as hard as you can and pushing yourself at the, at the right level that allows you to play and perform at the best potential you can on that day or in that week. Um, but, you know, I do think, I, th- I think it's really important for coaches and trainers, you know, actually, as I think about trainers too, it, it makes sense to really think about how the routine and the rut um, and the structure can get old. So as athletic trainers, if every time the athlete comes in and they're recovering from an injury, it's the same exact scenario and the same exact, and you're doing the exact same thing, then the athlete's going to lose their mind with boredom and with just fatigue of the same old, same old. 
So as athletic trainers, I have no doubt you guys are creative and thinking about, okay, this is the, this is the movement that I need to see from this limb. And I need to see it against resistance, but I can create resistance in lots of different ways. And so I can mix this up so that it's not the same thing every day. Coaches, I think the same way. If the practice starts with the same warm-up every day and you've been doing this now for 14 weeks and the athletes are just having a hard time, well, then shake it up. Do something different. It doesn't have to be. And, and I, I'm a big proponent of doing things that are just fun and might seem silly. Why can't the warm-up be that we play tag as adults? Why can't the warm-up that we play, you know, some sort of piggyback tag? You, you, if you've ever seen college athletes be asked to do something that's sort of fun and silly and a little bit um, less mature than they think they are, <laughs> then, you know, they get a kick out of it. And it just, again, it just brings joy back. And if, if we as, as professionals working with athletes, athletic trainers, coaches, sports psychologists can remember that part of joy comes from variety and doing something new and doing something that's just fun then I think we can, we can help with compliance, right? To get back to your question, Ray. Um, make it so they want to come, right? They, they should want to come. They should be looking forward to seeing the athletic trainer, even though it's bright and early and they're stuck in the athletic training room and they're not with all their friends because they're not practicing as much. Then, then it's, it's on the athletic trainer to make sure that that environment is fun and that environment has variety and has goals and has um, you know, ways that the athlete can feel successful. What about um, the uh, the athletic trainer coach relationship? So in this regard, and you know, in regards to burnout again. So say um, again, we're we're talking to an athlete, and they come into our clinic, and they're they're saying, "Hey, man, you know, Ray, basketball is just not fun anymore. Soccer is just not fun anymore. Football is just not fun anymore." Um, what do you recommend the athletic trainer doing um, in in their conversation with the coach? Yeah, I, you know, I probably need to, to come back to you guys and ask what your code of ethics says. So um, as a sports psychologist, if that were, were to happen, I would consider that to be privileged um, information that I would not share with the coach. Um, I might talk to the athlete. Would you like me to speak to the coach on your behalf? Do you, are you in a position where you can speak to the coach? You know, I would encourage the athlete to speak with the coach if he or she felt capable of doing that. If we're talking about youth sports, um, are you in a position where you're comfortable talking to your parents? You know, it, and it's, I don't want to say for sure whom they should speak to, because I think some of those interactions could be fraught with, with, you know, some negative consequences. Um, but I assume that your code of ethics is the same as ours, Ray, that, that you guys would not divulge that to the coach. But, yes. <laughs> so here's the big but. But if it's happening with a lot of athletes, right, like I know of some athletic programs where a lot of athletes were getting injured and the perception was the athlete's perception was that the coach was overtraining them and was not responsive to their feedback that was saying it's too much. And then the athletes are all getting injured and the coach isn't hearing that. Right. So now so now it comes back to relationships. What kind of a relationship does the athletic trainer have with the coach or with the athletic director? to share some information in a way that is not attacking or offensive, but is they're trying to give the appropriate feedback to that coach so that the coach can make adjustments. And, you know, it, it's, it, it comes back then in some ways to all of us helping with education and making sure that um, the folks who are in the positions where they can make the decisions that impact the athletes understand sort of the impact um, of their decisions on those athletes. And, and that we can we can help educate them so that they can do the best job they can do as the coaches or as the athletic trainers or as the head athletic trainers. 
Yeah, I, I love that. We So at, at the village school, um, you know, I know I talked to our coaches quite a bit about this and the idea of just, uh, you know, just creating this culture um, and principles that define our, our, found, our foundations of our, of our culture here at the village school. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the biggest thing is the relationship that we have with the people here at, at our school. And, um, you know, that being us as colleagues in, in the sports and uh, physical education department. And then, you know, going down um, to our, our, uh, our stakeholders, our, our kids, you know, that's, those are the biggest relationships that we have to foster and then sustain. So I, I, I absolutely love that answer. Yeah. And I, um, I mean, to, to, you know, to, to be really frank, I, the, the second book that I wrote, which is called coaching for the love of the game, I wrote because my goal was to share important concepts with coaches that don't relate to performance outcome that relate only to how you work with youth athletes in a way that's going to be positive for them and positive for you as the coach. Um, and so I like what you said, Ray, about how at the school, when, when you're working in an organization where you can talk about philosophy and you can talk about goals for a program or for everybody who falls under the umbrella of our program, then I think it makes it easier to have conversations with individual coaches or with individual trainers or even with parents about, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. And these are the things that we think help move us in that direction. And then if you have to add a criticism, I think this particular thing that's happening is not consistent with that. Can we talk about it? Can we think about how we might do that differently? Um, in college athletics, it might be harder because performance outcomes become increasingly important. And obviously, at the professional level, they do as well. But nonetheless, my expectation is that those departments and programs have goals and that when you recruited those athletes to come on board, they were they were, um, you know, they bought into those goals. So let's now make sure that our practices are consistent with those goals. Ray, one of the things mentioned by Dr. Etnier throughout the deal is to make it fun. She also said, make the athletic training room fun, make them, make it, make them want to be there. So Ray, what are some of the things that you do in your athletic training room that make athletes want to be there? So one of the things we do is we have a wall that has a bunch of pictures and it's mostly my student athletic trainers, but they're usually interacting with athletes. So a lot of kids will come in and say, Oh yeah, I know that guy. Or, Hey, that's my cousin, that kind of thing. So that's one of the things that we here at Pasadena high school have that makes it more inviting, makes it more welcoming. What's some stuff that you do? Yeah. So I, I think, um, stimuli are, are the biggest things for me. So just, um, an audio stimuli, like I, I have music playing, um, throughout the day. Um, it could be country. It could be, I, and I usually have an athlete that, that'll come in and say, Hey, it's, it's your day. You can pick, you know, per sports team, football, you can choose Monday, basketball, you can choose Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one thing I, I what I really like our, our basketball coach, uh, our girls basketball coach, Doug Brotherton has incorporated into his, his uh, routine throughout the week is every single day of the week, they have something new and we're incorporating that in the athletic training room. So, you know, Monday could be, again, Music Monday. Tuesday could be, um, you know, Tip Tuesday. So it could be a life tip, something about creating habits, something about forming uh, positive relationships. You know, Wednesday can be Wacky Wednesday. Someone's going to wear a funky outfit to, to practice, you know, again, making it fun, and et cetera, et cetera. So for me, um, again, I, I think in the athletic training room, um, I'm always figuring out ways to to empower our students. So I want our students to feel like this is, it's not my athletic training room. It's, it, it's our athletic training room. So, you know, meaning that, you know, I, it, it's not, this isn't a dictatorship. I'm not in there, you know, saying, Oh, you got to do X, Y, Z. 
um, we're going to work at this together. Um, you know, I'm inviting you to, to critique the things that I do. Um, and I, if, I, if you're going to allow me to critique the things that, I, that you do. Uh, again, just creating that kind of relationship is, is huge in my opinion. So. I think music definitely, you know, we play the music and, uh, you know, we've talked before, I'm trying to learn Spanish. So one of the things that I often do is, uh, play Spanish music. So some of the times like it's music, I just, I don't really like, but I say, Hey, tell me one of the, you know, Spanish artists you're, you're listening to right now, or right now I'm, I've really found it's a Google play music playlist kind of thing like pandora or whatever and it's called reggaeton versus bacata and that's got some like really good music like the style that i like you know it's got some rap sounding music some you know hip-hop sounding music and so i really enjoy that and I, you know and so i'll play that sometimes in the in the athletic training room or you know we let them play country i don't like country music but hey they wanted to play luke bryan so today we're playing luke bryan or like you said we've um changed up the exercises like Dr. Ettinger said don't do the same thing every day to avoid that burnout um and and then we don't do the same motion over and over again we may all right well we're working on push-ups but it's my ankle I know but we're working on push-ups and we're working on dead bugs today we're doing something completely different because you've been doing heel pumps for you know a full day yesterday and so we're gonna do something different today um you know another thing you guys could think about is just changing the location every once in a while which maybe with this COVID um, pandemic going on, you might be doing that anyway, right? Like you might be going outside more because you've got too many people in too small a space. But I think just changing the location a little bit too can, you know, let's go in, nobody's in the gym right now. Let's go use the gym instead of being in this smaller space or, um, you know, let's just go in the hallway or let's step outside. There's a, there's an outdoor area right here that nobody else is around and we can, we can do what we need to do just to mix things up a little bit. I've seen, I know my buddy John Seco has like bricks, um, they're painted white. And so like seniors, they get to like sign a brick and leave a message kind of thing. And I've seen some athletic trainers and teachers, they'll take the white ceiling tiles and pull them down and let kids draw color or even Mm. put some sort of laminated paper drawing or their name or their symbol or whatever it is on that as well. So it's another something, just a visual stimulus that makes it fun and interesting and gives them just one extra reason to go there any other suggestions either of you have about how to make that athletic training room more welcoming i just reinforce what i heard both of you say which was about the relationships right the relationships are the key and um you know ray said if if i can critique you and you can critique me then then you were sort of implying so we can both get better together right which i, I thought that was really neat but it's also just talking about how you guys know well you have to have their trust right? Because you're asking them to do things that hurt. You're asking them to do things that, um, you know, that they don't want to do that are uncomfortable and, and that they don't have any, any obvious immediate payoff. So I think, I think, you know, thinking about the things you're talking about to make things fun, that doesn't mean that that's independent of relationship building. It all goes together, right? Because you're showing your commitment to them being there and enjoying it and getting the most that they can from the work that they're doing with you that may be hardest with my own children. So like my kid's got a cut on his knee. I'm like, son, you know, you've been to work with me dozens of times. You know that you have a, that I, I'm a medical professional, that I take care of wounds. You know, that's what I do. And we obviously have a relationship because he's my son. <laughs> right. And he talks about, you know, like if he's talking to his friends, yeah, my dad's after the training, he takes your injuries, does this, you know? And so it's, he respects what I do, but for some reason he just, doesn't always trust me to take care of that wound so it's 
it's a matter of me like, okay, how am I going to help him take care of this wound? How am I going to put him at ease as I evaluate his calf? Cause he's a 10, eight, six year old boy. I got to build that relationship some more. I got to find a way that connects with them, you know? So yeah, it's definitely really good. It, to be it is, it is always different parent and child, you yeah. know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it from an athletic trainer perspective before Jeremy. So that's neat to hear about, but you know, you think about it with coaches a lot, coaches who are trying to coach their own child. Um, all of us, right. We're trying to teach our children the right way to, the right way to be the right way to think the things that we, we want them to believe in and do and, and the choices we want them to make. And they may not always listen to us <laughs> just because of this dual role of also being the parent. So it, it, I, I think that's interesting to think about Jeremy with, with those things with you and your son. For sure. All right. Do you have any more questions that you specifically want to ask or anything you want to follow up with? No, I, I, I think I'm good. I, I, and incredibly grateful for having this conversation with both of you guys. So uh, it was great information. Um, Jeremy, as always, I, I love being on this uh, on the Sports Medicine podcast with you. So uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, let, let me say one quick thing, which, I mean, you guys mentioned this at the beginning and we've run out of time to get there, but um, burnout doesn't only happen to athletes, right? It happens to professionals, particularly when they're in jobs where um, it's really hard work physically and mentally. Um, it's draining. And sometimes the rewards um, aren't as, um, what's the word, like as palpable as they need to be. So athletic trainers are a lot of times unsung heroes. You guys are an important key in the athletic success of programs and in the the development of young athletes and their ability to recover from injuries. And so, but I know that you guys are at risk for burnout because you work long hours, you're there early, you're there late, you're at all the practices. Um, You're giving of yourselves to those athletes as you relationship build and as you help them to cope with the challenges they're facing. Um, So it's important for professionals like yourselves in in the field of athletic training to make sure that you're finding that balance, to make sure that you're finding your joy, to make sure that you're taking those breaks when they're provided and that that means that your cell phone is put away. So when the athlete texts you and needs something, you're not responding in this certain window of time because you need it for you. So I'd, I'd encourage you to be sure that you apply, you know, what you know about burnout to your own lives and careers um, so that you can stick with this career that you love and, and not be burned out by the, by the headaches. Yeah, thanks for bringing us back there because, again, that was kind of the idea is we talk about how the athletes are burning out, but then so many times throughout we said, have fun, have goals, have short-term and long-term goals, you know, be about the process. So all of those things that apply to athletics, they apply exactly to me. So if I have a goal of building the sports medicine course on Schoology and having it complete this year, okay, that's a big goal. That's a lot to do. But but my small-term goal is I'm going to have unit one ready by the start of school. I'm going to have unit two ready by the, you know, week three. And so so those short-term and long-term goals working together, they help build that, you know, and also putting the phone away, like through the month of July, I logged out of, I deleted the apps off my phone on all social media. And so I was just completely disconnected from social media on purpose. Um, and, you know, I did the things that I enjoyed. I ran, I took the kids to the park. We went and, you know, through the football, played Frisbee at the base, you know, at the elementary school. And so those kind of things, are important too. And then, you know, we talk so much about buy-in as an athletic trainer. If I can't trust my coaches and what they're doing with the kids, then it's a lot harder. Right. But if I can Mm -hmm. say, Hey coach, 
I'm all in. I'm here for the kids. I'm here. Let's do this to work together. Let's build this program. Let's make sure these kids are squatting well. They're moving well so that we can prevent injuries so that they can stay with you longer and perform better for you. Right. I'm here. You know, I love that you guys are doing this uh, weightlifting, that you're having these kids come up. Let's see if we can get them to slow down a little bit, reduce the weight and get that depth so that they're not having tight muscles or, you know, overuse because they're just trying to crank it out. And so in those same things with us, like let's slow down, enjoy the process as an athletic trainer. Again, I feel like a lot of times athletic trainers are having to give themselves a, like a social media high five so that other people's will like, all right, Hey, it's national athletic training month. You got to tell me I'm awesome. You know, that kind of thing. And, and so it, it, does create some awareness and, you know, make some people say thanks. And especially like recently Pat McAfee or McAfee, I think the punter for the Colts, um, he talked about it on his podcast, you know, athletic trainers and the equipment managers are the true unsung heroes, heroes, especially in something like this. But yeah, it's everything that's been talked about here in burnout applies not just to youth sports, but to athletic trainers as well. Well, and one thing, just to say one quick thing in response to that, Jeremy. So like you said, the, the, the virtual high fives or the acknowledgement of the hard work that you do. As you're writing that, that curriculum um, and doing those units, make sure you're sharing that with somebody so that you get a pat on the back for those short-term accomplishments. You know, if you're just doing it on your own and everybody's waiting until the big day when you reveal the whole, the whole course, well, then that's a lot for you to be handling without getting sort of some consistent like reinforcement, like good job. You made that goal. So make sure you're sharing that with your, you know, with your significant other, with your friends, with your colleagues, so that they can encourage you and help you stay on that path. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, celebrate your small successes. So I also teach the Financial Peace University from Dave Ramsey, and he's got seven baby steps. And then, you know, in, when he's talking about the debt snowball, it's you pay off your smallest first because it gives you that momentum to keep going, to keep building that success. And so, again, it's the same thing. It's the process. It's about the small goals that lead to bigger goals. So yeah, all, all of those things like play together in life. Yeah. And I'll add on to that, Jeremy. So I, I, I always, you know, I had a conversation with my brother the other day. Um, you know, an athletic trainer is what I do. It's not who I am. And um, I, I think taking time for, you know, really and truly, you know, COVID has been kind of a blessing in disguise for me because it's allowed me to take a step back and really reflect on what's important to me. Just as uh, Dr. Adnir had mentioned earlier, like I, I miss talking to my friends. I miss talking to my family. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fiance. I'm, I'm a brother. I'm a son. All those things are way more important than, you know, what do I do? What do I do for a living? Um, now they, they're, they're incorporated in, you know, into each other in, in some aspects, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm Ray Olivo the person first and foremost before I am Ray Olivo the athletic trainer. So it's nice to, to really reflect on that every once in a while. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And I actually regret that didn't come up earlier. I should, I should have said that too, because, you know, when I'm talking about finding joy in other places and finding balance, the reason that's important is because of our identity and sense of self. If a youth athlete sees him or herself only as a soccer player, only as a basketball player, if an athletic trainer sees him or herself only as an athletic trainer, that by itself is, is, a, is not a good way to start, right? We have to recognize that we have other aspects of our identity that are equally important and deserve that same level of commitment, right? Which is what you're talking about, right? Um, one of the things that every night when I put my kids to bed, I say, you know, why does daddy love you? Is it because you're good at something? Is it because you're good at building Legos or playing video games? That has nothing to do with that. I love you because you are my son. You will always be my son and I will always be your daddy, right? And is there anything you do that would make me love you more? Is there anything you could do that would make me love you less? 
right? Their value is not in their academics or in their, you know, extracurriculars. They know that their value is because something that can never, ever change, no matter what happens, they will always be my son, they'll always be my dad, and I'll always be their dad, and say that they know that their value is in that. And again, that hopefully leads them to a lifetime of success, of knowing where their value is, rather than, oh yeah, well, my, my dad loves me because I can mow the yard well, because I can perform well. No, they know it's because of who they are and who I am. So that, that That's a great note to end on. I love that. Perfect. All right, Dr. Edney, we got connected through Podchaser. So tell me just a little bit about how you got connected to Podchaser. And then, because um, Podchaser is sponsoring this this episode. So tell me how you got connected with them. Yeah, I've actually had the opportunity to do several podcasts um, through Podchaser. So I really appreciate um, the opportunities it's provided for me. Um, and they uh, it came through the university. And in response to that New York Times article that I wrote, as you mentioned, and then also to this new book that I you know, you couldn't have much worse timing than to publish a book on uh, coaching youth sport that was actually came out and became available on March 16th, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that, that was not well planned, um, but I'm hoping people will seek it out as they're starting to get back into sport um, and volunteer parent coaches are, are seeking out some, you know, some advice as to how to, how to work the best they can with their, with their athletes. You got connected with them just as a way to kind of promote and get onto podcasts, right? Yeah, well, and um, you know, as you mentioned early on, I, I'm passionate about the work that I'm doing with youth sport, but I'm also um, a scientist who does my research in the area of exercise and cognition. So some of the podcasts I've gotten to do have, have revolved more around that. You know, what are the mental health benefits of exercise? Um, how does physical activity help you maintain your ability to perform well cognitively into advancing age, or help you to do better in school? So, um, yeah, it's been really fun for me to do these podcasts and to talk to really interesting people like you guys, um, you know, and just sort of explore some topics in more depth and, and let them sort of go where they where they will as we consider really important topics. So if you see an email from Podchaser saying, hey, I want to be part of your podcast or hey, check out this person, you know, it obviously we get connected with cool people like Dr. Like Dr. Jennifer Etnier, but then they also have a service to where you can discover new podcasts you get to like rate and review so i'll have a link in the show notes to the sports medicine broadcast on Podchaser. so if you want to rate review it on there you can um and then possibly it'll say you know other things you might like it's just a different way to discover podcasts to rate review them but also to get connected with content uh creators content hosts so check them out again Podchaser. if you just google it it's probably easier but podchaser.com so dr jennifer etnier at a Greenboro, North Carolina, uh, professor, like, like we talked about in the beginning, she's, um, editor and member of, um, I have to scroll all the way back up to the top to see it. That was the first thing I said, the fellow of American college sports medicine, sports psychologist, and, and an author. And so again, I'll have links to those books. So there's the best way to get that book on Amazon through website. Yep. Amazon's best way. Amazon's best way. Yeah. Right. And, and the other book that I wrote is called Bring Your A-Game. It's really written for um, youth athletes to share with them some sports psychology skills that often people aren't exposed to until they, you know, reach a really high level where they're working with a sports psychologist. So Bring Your A-Game and Coaching for the Love of the Game, both meant to help contribute to positive youth sport experiences. All right. So again, once this is published, I'll have the links to all that. But if you want it right now, you can go to, um, you can just Google Dr. Jennifer Etnier, again, that's E-T-N-I-E-R, and 
and you'll find that stuff or Amazon, um, coaching for love of the game or bring your a game. Did I say the first one, right? That's right. Yeah, okay. that's right. So you can Amazon search those and check those out. I uh, get those to you. So I am Jeremy Jackson. Obviously I said pod chaser was when we sponsored today's episode. I'll have a link to that. I have a link to all the stuff we mentioned. I think with Dr. Etnier, we talked about a lot of different things. Um, and then the best way to contact you, Dr. Etnier, is what? Uh, through email at JL, and then my last name is E-T-N-I-E-R at U-N-C-G dot E-D-U. All right, so you can email Dr. Etnier uh, any of the questions, or maybe you want to have her discuss some of the mental health aspects or some of the different things that she is doing as well as a scientist uh, or a sports psychologist. So Ray Olivo, I have his link, link to his Twitter, RayOlivo20. Is that still the best way, Ray? Yes, sir. All right. And then obviously on social media, I am Mr. Jeremy Jackson. So whether that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, I'm not really on Snapchat or anything like that anymore. So you can check me out there. But if again, if you want to contact Dr. Etnier, it's, uh, you just said it. It's Jennifer. J-L, yeah, it's J.L. Etnier at UNCG.edu. University of North Carolina at Greensboro. You can, you'll find me there. There you go. And like I said, if, if you Google search it, it's really easy because that's what I did and, you know, found some bio information, but it's pretty easy to find her if you just Google search it. So for Jeremy Jackson, the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jennifer Etnier. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jennifer, Jennifer Etnier. Um, Jeremy Jackson, Ray Levo, Dr. Etnier, and today's sponsor, Podchaser. That is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you all.